0: Welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel Multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jake Hill.
1: And this week we are continuing our coverage of the epic, the cosmic, the legendary Annihilation Saga. I am so excited to continue this uh, one of my favorite giant runs of comics.
0: It is a lot. I, it has only recently sunk in just how much we're going to be covering uh, now that I have f- finished the second set of uh, readings. it's it is. I, and then I looked at what we had left and I went, oh, this is a lot more in the gut feel than it was before we even started. But I should have put it into context because it's more issues than the entirety of Strangers in Paradise, uh, and I read that over a 48-hour period.
1: Wow, I've always wanted to read Strangers in Paradise, and that sounds
0: like a crazy way to do it. It was. It was. There's no qualifier there. It was. But now I want to revisit it via the omnibus. I feel that because I am
1: revisiting this, and yeah, it's a lot of comics. I think we have this divided up into 11 parts this entire Uh, run. Something like that. And I gotta say, of every uh, one of those 11 parts, I think this is the collection of issues that I think is the weakest.
0: Okay, 12. It's going to be 12.
1: 12 parts. I, I think that this, this is the book that's least representative of what this run is going to feel like. And uh, is the most... Um, is, is the tangential? It just has the farthest... Yeah, most tangential. While this is definitely our first introduction to a bunch of characters who are going to become very core to this story, uh, none of these creators we're, are we're going to stick with for very long. And um, a, a lot of none of these ideas are going to end up uh, paying off in that big a way.
0: Yeah, they're they're definitely middle. They're definitely there to be like, this is what's going on. They're they're scene dressing. Uh, if it were if this were a big tie-in event, I feel like these would be the tie-in issues for the characters. Well, you actually nailed it, a lot,
1: because that's exactly what this was. Is these were tie-ins to the annihilation event, um, but now when you read this. It's pretty clear that chronologically these stories take place before the event proper. So I guess they're all like uh, prequels.
0: Oh, so they they were coming out at the same time as the main event? Um,
1: I'd have to look at the exact release date of the issues, but I believe they were coming out around the same time. But uh-huh. when, yeah, but when you read them now, uh, you'll or when we read part three, you will see that the story is going to pick up when all these different people come together. This is how they get to Annihilation.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, I should probably... For those listeners who are jumping in with us on part two, uh, Annihilation is this big cosmic event, happened about 10 years ago, 2010, was that when it was published? Uh, even earlier, this was uh, 2005, 2006. Wow, I was so wrong, and we even talked about this last time, so <laughs> shows what I remember. Uh, 2005, and it was big Marvel cosmic, Annihilus, big bug guy from the Negative Zone, shows up, in the universe, wants to eat everything. Well, he doesn't really want to eat everything. He's not Galactus. But he wants to to conquer the entirety of the universe and destroy all the life within because it's his. It's his. He wants it. It's his. Not very complicated motivation but the perfect kind of villain for this kind of story. Uh, and It really has the feel of a war epic. We're introduced to Richard Rider Nova who had to literally watch all of his friends, acquaintances, and an entire planet get brutally murdered before running into Drax and his human friend, uh... Her name is Cammy. Thank you, Cammy. Sure, for, for, for Camilla, I think, or Camina. I do not remember. I just remember her personality being the quintessential 2005 disaffected teen. She is a Camille,
1: she is from small-town Alaska, and she is caustic. Yes. She
0: is 10-year-old Daria, but <laughs> way harsher. Yeah. So that's pretty much what happened in the last uh, last time. This time, we have three different miniseries, one featuring Silver Surfer, one featuring Clerk the Super Skrull, and the other featuring Ronin the Accuser. And basically, each one... Uh, so if you're reading this in trade, it's Annihilation Book 2 or split between the two complete collections, uh, and it is published in order of starting, uh, I think it's 17, 17 days post-Annihilation Wave, counting up all the way to, I think it's like day 100 or something. Uh, day 99. Yeah, on 99. 99. I'm guessing day 100 is very important for the Annihilation main series. And then at one point they cut to day 7,300, but we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm so glad you're keeping track of these numbers. We'll get to that. I just knew you were the kind of nerd for this series. Are you looking, yeah. feel like uh, Babylon 5. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff I really love. <laughs> uh, although I wouldn't remember any of the numbers if I hadn't been writing them down. But basically, Silver Surfer takes place within the first month, month and a half. scroll, Super scroll, the next two months. Uh, and then Ronin, uh, about ten days before... 100 uh, or two weeks before 100 you're getting into this i can feel this this is this is happening for you we're moving we're we're getting close to something important but it never feels like it while you're reading these (laughs) (laughs) miniseries. that is (laughs) other than following the numbers and going what's going to be at 100 that seems important but basically silver surfer is you know a who's who of all the heralds that i didn't know existed they're fun they're weird they all hate each other and we are introduced to two new characters, Tenibrius and Aegis, who I have abbreviated as TNA because I have no shame. <laughs> Silver Surfer does stuff. It's fun. He gets his surfboard back. He has encounters with Galactus. Again, we'll get more into it later. Uh, Super Scroll has Klert on the run, trying to clear his name after he literally punched in front of a million other people, uh, his warlord queen. So uh, great job there, Clerk. Great job. Uh, He is clearly the best hero that we could ever have met.
1: Well, and he's trying to destroy the um, negative zones, very own death star machine. They have this like big planet killing doomsday device that they're going to fly through the universe
0: um well talk all about that, Harvester yeah. of Sorrows. Harvester of Sorrows. It looks like a giant bee. So Clerk goes has an adventure with a kid sidekick and his mech android girlfriend who really, really likes him, and also the other guy whose name I can't remember. Not Howal. Um the one who if, if you hit him more Daddy Klert, he gets You talk about more Preak? of him. Yes, Creek. Preak. Preak. Uh, and then we've got Ronan the Accuser, who is also on the run because he was potentially framed, potentially not. This actually was set up at the end of the Annihilation Nova. He was It was set up at the end of one of the Annihilation books from the last time. The prologue issue, I think it was. Yeah, the prologue issue. This, uh, I th- I think Super Scroll was also set up there, but definitely Silver Surface stuff. Basically, the Ronin one is a, is a knock-em-up Western on a planet where you've got muscle-bound, meathead men going, Grr, arg, no females. And then Gamera leading a bunch of women who fight them. And then some guy shows up because <laughs> cosmic bullshit. Uh, and it's basically one planet-wide brawl for the entire time and then the annihilation wave shows up and uh it's time to move on Uh, my notes are gonna say some very similar things yeah we'll get more into the the nitty-gritty of all this get some details that i definitely glossed over but that's kind of the gist of it for anyone who wanted my horrible summarizing skills
1: (laughs) well um (laughs) that shows us where we stand but now let's uh do you want to... Let's get into it for real. Talking about yep. uh, Annihilation Silver Surfer, numbers one to four. They are written by Keith Giffen, who has uh, been writing most of the issues we've been reading so far, mm-hmm. um, and illustrated by Renato Arlem, colored by Jun Chung, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit and Joe Caramanga. So I looked up Renato Arlem, and I... Uh, yeah, he does mar- he's been doing a lot of Marvel stuff in this era. Uh, my favorite thing by him that I read was in 2011, he did a very underrated Age of Apocalypse ongoing that was huh. really neat and full of heavy Marvel continuity and dark and apocalyptic and yeah, I thought his art for that was super cool and I like his here a lot.
0: Yeah, it's definitely painterly uh, in some way. It captures the cosmic nature of it. Honestly, I, when I was reading it, it felt like a book from the 80s, uh, but with modern coloring techniques. Or not yeah. modern, but, like, modern for that era, especially with the way every page is. There's a lot of gutter space, or there's a lot of uh, bleed space in between what is the edge of the page and, you know, the actual edge of the page. It's always, like, it's within a frame. That always makes me think of uh, the Fables, the Vertigo series. Yeah. Had those crazy illustrated frames around all the pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were always really pretty. But th- it's like that, yeah. Every page, but without the fancy frames.
1: Yeah, but every, I know everything's really indented, which makes it look cinematic. Mm-hmm. And it has, like, a really steady rhythm of um, a page of a bunch of small panels, a page of a bunch of small panels, really big panel. Yeah. <laughs> because a Silver Surfer is always blowing something up or doing something psychedelic or striking an epic pose every couple of pages. Which, like, great.
0: That's how I, I like my Silver Surfer. My biggest complaint with the miniseries art-wise is just everyone's got the same stoic mm, face. Yeah, you know, you know the one, you know the one. That's
1: kind of the cast he's working with here, because it's a lot yeah. of sad space boys. Because when we start off right off the bat, Silver Surfer is real sad, but that's the best kind of Silver Surfer. <laughs> it's just <laughs> this like, is true. Him sad crying Silver Surfer about is great. Yeah. I can't think of any Marvel hero who's, like, more weepy than Silver Surfer.
0: <laughs> I feel like I've seen... So, this this the series actually opens with uh, this character called Ravenous attacking uh, Gabriel Airwalker, a former herald for Galactus, the giant purple space guy who likes to devour planets like he's uh, eating cereal. And i I swear I have seen these creatures before, but I don't know where he's got these uh no eyed tentacle dog things uh they're called curs, so we've got ravenous and his curs, and they're basically there to just spout exposition. <laughs> But... Well, I, now, I am so
1: excited. I, I'm grinning ear to ear to hear you to describe Ravenous because this is our first appearance of Ravenous, but will not be our last. Uh, he has never been in a comic before this Silver Surfer miniseries, but he is going to go on to just, like, continue to be a thorn in the side of everyone for every one of these issues in this huge, enormous run.
0: Okay. he's so just like I've one seen, of the...
1: Maybe I've seen him in something recent. Yeah, maybe, but he's just, like, a, one of those great scumbag villains who uh, never wins, but he always stays one step ahead. Mm-hmm. Like a taskmaster, I love villains like this.
0: <laughs> is is uh, Gabriel Airwalker just a a, a oh, what's the word for it? Mm, sun knight, crusader,
1: like, like, a, like
0: a, an 11th century crusader. He's got this big sun on his chest. He's got the stupid bucket hat or the bullet yeah, hat.
1: Yeah, but he's supposed to be a Zandarian. He is um, associated with the Novacor.
0: Right. 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 And he's, he's sad because his entire world is dead. Which, you know, fair. Fair. Yeah, right.
1: That, but, and that's a great way to start off, is already um, the tragedy that we saw Nova so affected by, we're seeing other people elsewhere in the story affected by it too. Like the destruction yeah. of this planet is having far-reaching consequences. I feel like in the Guardians of the Galaxy comics that follow this run, they start really casually blowing up planets and then having all this unearned angst where people are like, you killed my planet, and then it's somehow magically restored. Mm -hmm. Um, But here I'm like really feeling the space opera of it all. This is like a tragedy and war and feelings on a galactic scale.
0: Yeah, and while we don't see the other planets that are being, you know, destroyed and it's implied that obviously Xandar isn't the only one, we're feeling, we actually, we feel the death of Xandar radiate out throughout the series and throughout these different characters. And then when other planets are destroyed and those people are feeling pain, we, you, we have the touchstone of Xandar to then basically transfer that over to Planet X.
1: And that's, that's Storytelling 101, baby. Mm-hmm. What, so getting down to like what, Ravenous... Uh, how did you describe understand his motivations by the end of this miniseries? Like, what's Ravenous all about?
0: He feels like a merc. He's basically just a merc. Um, that that was my understanding. He's a merc for Annihilus. Um, he's not really beholden to money in the same way as like other merc characters. But that's, yeah, that's kind of what I felt. Uh, and maybe I just didn't understand him super well. Well, that's like pretty uh, par for the course. With I feel like Silver Surfer comics are always so um Z. And like yeah. the story always takes a backseat. I do know that he he very much is like continually challenging Silver Surfer on why is this so much worse than what you did. He's continuously making that connection, and Silver Surfer is like on the back foot trying to trying to defend, you know, what he did for Galactus, which was you know pretty
1: horrible. But the other, the other equivalency between them is uh, Ravenous says that he's the wielder of the opposing force which is the opposite right. of the uh, power cosmic. And um, yes. the thing he's doing for Annihilus is he's kind of like being um, his herald. He's going out in front of Annihilus and like seeking out great powers for him to
0: devour. But instead of eating planets like Galactus does, Annihilus wants to eat Galactus. Yeah, <laughs> he wants he wants Galactus's power cosmic and specifically all the heralds as power cosmic.
1: Yeah, he wants to eat all of them as like little snacks. And then he wants to eat uh, Galactus as the big meal. Or maybe yeah. Galactus is the dessert. He looks like a dessert. <laughs> uh,
0: and you've always got room in your dessert stomach um, for power cosmic. Yeah, which
1: which is infinite.
0: The um, infinite power. Yeah,
1: I, I just um, I really liked the the the, the combat between uh, ravenous. And Silver Surfer throughout this. We're, there's like a lot of fighty issues here, and one thing that just kept it fresh is like um, both of them could like bend reality, so they were uh, not just attacking each other, but they were affecting like time and space and the rocks and making just like stuff spiral around each other, and it was just an excuse
0: for cool artwork and weird, yeah. cool cosmic ripply stuff. And at one point, the uh, he creates a black hole, which God, I can't. I I think I by the end of this series. I don't know if it's just this many. I think all of them, but I was ready to throw uh, Skeeta out a window into the hungry hole, <laughs> which which is what she calls the black hole. I'm like, OK, that's one way of calling it. Well, before we get into uh Oh, my God, did I forget to write is it? It's Skeeta. Uh, I have to check. I f- did I forget to write Screet. that name?
1: Screet, That's right. Screet. Um, um We should, We got to talk about. So another thread running through this is uh, Thanos confronts nihilus, and they kind of make like a dark alliance.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and Thanos is like, until it displeases me. So we know that betrayal is going to happen at some point. <laughs>
1: how did you? How do you feel that this uh, take on Thanos? Thanos, God. You really Thanos. got in my head. You really got in my head last time. <laughs> How do you think that Giffen's take on Thanos compares to the the, the more familiar movie version?
0: Honestly, the, I think they're pretty much the, the same. Uh, the, the movie Thanos is is more warlord esque. Very much, I do it do it on my own. But he's kind of the same here. He kind of stands around. He postures. He's like, I'm big and scary. But he wants other people to do his work for him here, which is which is interesting. Which is what he
1: does for most of the movies, actually, until the end.
0: Yeah, but like there, it's it's direct underlings. Whereas here, he's making a deal with another powerful force. Yeah, and um,
1: their their end game isn't exactly clear. Although I really like um, Giffen's writing of the villains and their posturing and their manipulation. I was yeah. like on the edge of my seat, waiting for uh, either their their plan to come together or for it to all fall apart. Because it's just like it you, you could feel it was so taut.
0: Yeah. It, it's kind of understated, and but that the first meeting between uh, Thanos and Annihilus, I was cackling, because the page, there's this big splash page, and there's these tiny little dialogue balloons, <laughs> and I, I don't know, there was just something about that scene where I'm like, all right, all right, Thanos. They're, they're kind of just, just sizing each other up, Annihilus says, thanos of titan the mad titan no thanos i've been called worse <laughs> as has annihilus there you see we have common ground and i'm like all right cool sure it's it was not what i was expecting but exactly what the two characters would probably do like i, I bought into it
1: well, and this is just, like, as that kind of sci-fi nerd, this is your jam, right? Like, the two yeah. bad guys meeting in this dark chamber with the windows looking out on their warship, and then all his generals are standing around, and he's just like, leave us. And they're all like, my lord, are you sure? And he's like, uh, you dare question me? Just, that's a, that seems like real Elias bait. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great. I'm, I'm into it, too. But then Screet gets to stay around, and I'm like, oh, god. What I like about their uh, confrontation, too, is um, Thanos is, a, like, a they never say what they're about but Thanos is like are you declaring war on universal balance and um and you can tell he's just recognizing this kindred spirit of like a, a being out there who's totally willing to like destroy the fabrics of reality for nothing
0: he thinks that's awesome yeah yeah pretty much and uh, um, Annihilus wants this universe because his universe is getting smaller as this universe gets bigger um or the negative zone is getting smaller as the universe gets bigger and he's like that can't stand because I've conquered the negative zone and all that is conquered by nihilus is nihilus's proper property forever and ever unto eternity and you're stealing it from me so I'm going to steal it all back get fucked <laughs> uh but uh, what i was reading that the only thing i could think was uh he's like your universe gets all the dominant genes well i get all the recessive
1: genes you are not the first non-metal gear solid player to quote that at me this week i don't know what that <laughs> says
0: it says that it's an iconic quote <laughs> i uh it's, it's so ridiculous.
1: I did see a video where Gilbert Gottfried recited that Liquid Snake monologue, and it was glorious. Oh, my God.
0: I need to see this now. (laughs) Post-show.
1: I'll try to put it... Maybe I'll put it in the show notes below this when we post it. Um, We also get introduced to, like you were saying, all the different Heralds of Galactus. I don't think... They're all real freaky and groovy. I don't really think it's worth getting into the complex backstories that they each have. But did you have, like, a, a a favorite of the
0: bunch? Any one of them stick out at you? Not really. I mean... Uh, actually no, Terax. Terax stood out because he looks like uh Darkseid, which I'm guessing he was a Kirby creation. Um I believe I believe I believe he's old school. I believe he goes back to yeah. Kirby Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he 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 had that like classic Kirby look. Most of them were just kinda they had cool designs, but I didn't really care about their backstory. So we had Redshift, we had Fire Lord, uh we had the aforementioned Gabriel Airwalker, we have, you know, everyone's Favorite sad boy Solar Surfer, and we have oh god, what's what's the current one's name? Or not current Stardust. I really like Stardust's design. Stardust is very cool. And then the Fallen one, who was working with Thanos, who gets royally screwed up by TNA.
1: Um, yeah, who is uh like an evil Herald? Um, just to clarify, Terex, who is also my favorite Herald. Terex, the uh, the Tamer. Terex, the terrible. Terex is the great. Was created by Marv Wolfman and John Byrne and Joe Sinat.
0: Huh. He looks just like a classic Kirby character. It's
1: gotta be, um, gotta be a tribute because you're absolutely right. He's got a cool axe, and what I love about Terax is that um, he looks so tough, but really he's kind of a punk. And Spider-Man can take him out, and uh, like uh, Iron Fist can take him out. Like Terax is constantly um, getting taken out by someone way below his power level. <laughs> And I think he, I think that's great. I think he's got like a. I think he's just like a terrible fighter. He's like supremely powerful, but he just actually isn't that great a uh, uh, warrior. And I think that's an awesome character. <laughs> Amazing. Love to keep an eye out for Terax. He's always showing up, and he's a real punk. Actually, he talks a big game. We should also. So yeah, you mentioned um, TNA, Tenebris, and Aegis. <laughs> I actually was reading pretty carefully this time, and. It seems like these guys are just, like, yet another type of cosmic being introduced into the Marvel Pantheon. They're not, strictly speaking, Celestials or, um, like, Eternals or any pre-existing thing. They are what uh, got called um, perennial gods. No, Promial gods. Mm -hmm. Like, how they're related to, uh, say, Knull. I know (laughs) that the end Knull. I know that K is supposed to be silent, but if it was, why would they put it in there? From King in Black is like a whole new type of being. They just keep on uh, introducing like other classes of cosmic beings, but they really look like Celestials, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought they were Celestials.
1: No, I looked they're it up not. because they don't look they don't look or talk quite like Celestials. They kind of have yeah. their own thing, but they're super freaky. Like, I really appreciated their um, their menacing presence, and their backstory here is that the kiln, which was the, pres- the prison-slash-power plant that got destroyed when Annihilus first invaded in the last episode, mm-hmm. was actually built by Galactus at the beginning of the universe to imprison these guys. These guys were at the center of it. No, 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 no. He, he, he didn't build it. He found it. He was he like, found I don't know it. who built the kiln. That's even creepier. I love Cosmic Marvel stuff like this. There's all these freaky, like, buildings and artifacts and stuff. And I know we just had a whole time with the uh, Infinity Gauntlet, which I think is one of the least imaginative parts of this. But there's all these, like, weird groovy corners of the universe with these creepy forgotten things. It's very Mass Effect.
0: Yeah, and it kind of brings a lot of wonder. You're like, what is this thing? And everyone's like, we don't know. And all the cosmic beings you run into are like, well, I think maybe it's this. And then, but they're like, I don't know. I just used it to, you know, make some eggs.
1: Yeah. Or in this case, to imprison these two guys who are like way out of. And what's also awesome about this is these guys could probably like end the Annihilation Wave with a snap. Yeah. But they just won't because they just want revenge on Galactus. But th- what an amazing. I love and you know, like uh, I love how Thor and Hawkeye can be on the same team and both be useful if the writer's good enough. Mm-hmm. So this is taking like the huge co- scale of com- cosmic Marvel space and all the powers that get displayed in those '70s comics
0: and um, finds a role for them in this like in this cool war story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although they do still have to take some some characters out, like Beyonder yeah. or Beyonder. Beyonder. <laughs> I, I, I don't know Punk Beyonder's too. deal. So uh, he's got a lot of deals. Beyonder
1: might be. One of the most retcon characters, I think. Last night you won't have to worry about
0: it because Beyonder's dead. Right, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to remember how this this mini ends. Well, it goes. There's there's the big fight. So first, you know, Thanos and Annihilus. They have to haggle. They have to figure out their plan. And then they they shake hands and they're like, "Thank you, best friend." (laughs) Uh, And they're getting ready to like stab each other in the back at some point. Although I don't know if Annihilus is going to because he he made his plan pretty clear. He's like, as soon as we're done, I'm literally eating the entire world. Uh, And Thanos is like, sure, whatever. I don't care. Everyone will be dead then, which he loves. Yeah, everyone will be dead. I like that. Yeah, Galactus tells us all about the war at the start of creation. He locks people up in the kiln. Um, and then the Surfer and Galactus meet up again because the Surfer summoned him, but politely. And so the Surfer, I'm sorry, Galactus summoned Surfer politely. So the Surfer is like, oh shit, it must be important. <laughs> Galactus only demands. which I thought was a great little understanding of the dynamic. Surfer's like, oh, he's actually coming to me for help and not just being like, you got to show up. Clearly he's worried about something. <laughs>
1: And it's not like there's a lack of uh, good stories with Galactus and Silver Surfer having, like, a complex dynamic. But this just felt so true to it. And so, it just, like, an interesting episode in it.
0: Yeah. And they have a conversation about, you know, feeding and whatnot. And Galactus like, I need your help. Will you be my herald again? I'll give you your powers back. Or, I guess, more power? Uh, and Surfer's like, no. But also, yes, he accepts Um, I think Galactus wanted to, like, wear away a lot of the guilt and the things that he had learned on Earth and the things that made him more human. You know, in big air quotes, because we can apply more human to non-human species in the greater galaxy. We don't have a good word, because in our world, we've never really encountered aliens. But it's a theme that Marvel loves. Yes. So, the server's like, no, leave me with with my sadness. My sadness propels me forward, or... (laughs) Something like that. Uh, and so Galactus gives gives him his power back. Ravenous shows up and is like, I'm going to take you out, Galactus. And Galactus is like, sure, bud. Have fun with that. He opens his hand. Surfer shows up and Ravenous <laughs> is like, oh, shit. And he runs away. You like that page,
1: huh? Silver Surfer flying out of Galactus's fist and then all the ships in the sector exploding.
0: Yeah, that was... Epic, <laughs> and the perfect way to like close out an issue is you can you're like, oh, you can feel the the not the tension, but the release, the, the opposite,
1: the opposite of tension.
0: Yeah, there's all that hype, and because we're in a trade, I can just go to the next page. I don't have to wait a month.
1: I I think of this part, the one thing that um I can see somebody uh, criticizing this issue, a criticism I do not, for the record, share is um, that Silver Surfer's constantly uh, agreeing to become Galactus's Herald, and like having him do that once again is like a surrender. Mm-hmm. But I, I just it, it, maybe it's just because it's so well executed, or because the emotions uh, work so well for me, or because I just don't care. Like, so Of course he's going to become the Herald again, and then ditch it again, and then become it again. That's the cycle of the Silver
0: Surfer story. That's yeah. It's about the relationship between these two really weird characters. And Surfer's also like, I'm going to make sure that you can't eat any planets with life or whatever he's like i must feed and surf is like yeah 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 i know i really like the fight that ending fight with ravenous mostly because the surfer uh uses cosmic glue to stick ravenous to i don't know if it's a fake surfboard or a second surfboard and then he kind of like just drips out a new one for him to to surf on uh, and then we skip ahead to day forty. So all of that, the battle beforehand, was on day twenty-one. Did you ever read uh,
1: Dan Slott and Mike Allred's Silver Surfer series? Yes, I did. One of those boards was uh, it was a, a duplicate, and the other one was Toomey, the name of his board.
0: Oh yeah, his board is named Toomey. Toomey, I I really like that. Yeah, it's a delightful series, and um, but but he no, but he didn't name the board. Uh, What's her face did dawn? Uh, yeah, but she did. But uh,
1: we we know better. We know that one day the board will have a name, and the name is Toomey. It's just a uh, yeah, important because Dawn named it Toomey. Important to note. yeah that fight's awesome i love that's what i'm talking about where silver surfer like a boring person would have silver surfer punch and shoot lasers out of his fist but a clever thing is to have silver surfer like do weird stuff by like molding his board and creating new ones because he just can do that he can just conjure stuff from nothing and conjure turn
0: nothing something into dust Mm -hmm. and he leaves ravenous alive because he's like learn from this and i think that's a that is a great understanding of who silver surfer is and why he's a hero uh, and why we want to follow Surfer, even though he has this complicated, fraught past. Or, like, he's, he's struggling to do what is right and also struggling to help other people learn from their mistakes and not just show up like Ronin and murder a bunch of people because they did something. Because he operates on,
1: like, this mythic scale, so his yeah. morality has so much more weight than, like, a cowboy character who's in the dust.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, uh, Thanos meets with TNA to strike a deal.
1: Well, so I, this actually was what made me like Screet and her involvement in this. Because so far, yeah, she's been this—I think I understand why you want to give Thanos someone to sit on his— like an annoying sidekick for him to yell at and have his say his evil plans to yeah that's pretty that has pretty much been her, been her role but here we just like find out what her deal is just a little bit and it turns out that she is like this primordial being who uh, managed to hide the extermination of her species by these ancient gods just like this bug infestation in the early days of the of reality
0: yeah a chaos mite
1: a chaos mite is what they call her yeah and um i think that gives her such fun weight in the story how her effect is that she's so annoying but she's so ancient mm-hmm. that's like a fun thing to think about but then it also is just like where did the kiln come from and why are these gods who were locked away from before time here and why does the universe have to get bigger and the negatives don't have to get smaller it's like a do you feel how existential cosmic marvel is even while it's like cool explosion stuff
0: and cowboys looking for their bounties. And, and villains posturing over uh, how much they're going to murder each other once their deal falls apart. It's such a great uh, science fiction palette. I just like it's It's delicious. Yeah. 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 All right. So I think we're going to take a break and then we will come back with continuation of Annihilation Super Scroll. Hello. We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster,
1: A Silent Voice,
0: and Pokemon Adventures.
1: We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations, like Netflix's Death Note.
0: At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick, so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice.
1: And welcome back. We are talking Annihilation, and we are getting into Super scroll, the Super Scroll miniseries. Super scroll. So Super scroll was written by... I really, you know, I've known this guy's name for a long time, and I have never known how to pronounce it. But uh, Javier Grio Marksuk, I think, uh, is the writer. is uh, illustrated by Gregory Titus, colored by Chris Sotomayor, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit and Joe Caramanga. So um, Javier Grio Marksuk is a very prolific TV writer, and you've probably seen his name in front of a lot of stuff, Elias. I, maybe... I'm sure I have, but I I don't always look at the credits. Uh, He's done cartoons. He did a a bunch of episodes of Law & Order SVU. He wrote a bunch of the early seasons of Lost. He is the head writer of the upcoming Netflix Cowboy Bebop live-action show. Despite following that, I did not know that. Yeah, and if you look at this guy's IMDb credits, you'll just be like, oh yeah, he wrote like four episodes of this kind of bad sci-fi show that I watched every episode of in the 2000s. Just like a lot of stuff like that. (laughs) And I, and I I watched a bunch of shows like that and I know you did too so you'll definitely be familiar with this guy's work he wrote this miniseries which I feel like was all over the place but um we'll talk about <laughs> his writing certainly um and Gregory Titus I looked over too I, l- I looked up too and um, he is a very prolific uh, artist he's done some other Marvel stuff but he's more involved it seems like in doing lots of branding stuff like he does the artwork that ends up on the packaging of Star Wars toys and things like that. But the uh, most notable thing I can see is he seems to be the guy who draws the Angry Orchard cider bottles. Huh. I personally am not a big drinker of Angry Orchard. My uh, cousin, Gidon, makes a cider called uh, Original Sin Cider. And in both familial solidarity and the fact that I think it's delicious, I usually uh, go with uh, Original Sin. But the Angry Orchard bottles I like to look at. They're super cool.
0: Yeah. I I don't drink, so... <laughs> I, I'm vaguely aware of them from a distance they're memorable it's eye-catching you, you see it across the room yes that much is true anyway this was as sure as a wild four issues huh I, it really was i I was gonna say I think I enjoyed these four issues the most but that would be a lie I have to I have to say that All three miniseries were very different, um, but I definitely see now why you were like, yeah, these are pretty weak and potentially optional. Yeah. Uh, The last time I reread this, I
1: remember skipping this trade entirely. Um, I also, the last time I remember reading these stories, I would have ranked them um, probably Ronin was my favorite, then Silver Surfer, and then Super Scroll. And now it's flipped. Super Scroll is probably my favorite and Ronin my least.
0: Wow. Yeah, now I, I don't know. There's something. There's a lot to like about the Super Scroll Mini, and there's also a lot of, what's the word for it? It's it's a lot of sloppiness. Is kind of how I feel yes, about it. Yes, it's very. It is very sloppy.
1: What it, what my main takeaway, my first takeaway is I turned the page. The Silver Surfer mini series was very dark with muted colors. Uh, I guess a combination. It was like noir. It was there was muted colors and then bright lights and deep shadows. And then you turn the page, and immediately everything is, like, bubblegum colored. Yeah.
0: And that took me, like, four pages to get used to. (laughs) I even wrote, I wrote in my notes, uh, planet Axlo, idyllic, beautiful, dead. (laughs) Because I'm like, this planet ain't surviving. I just wrote pink in all caps. (laughs) It's also pink.
1: But my, my main takeaway on this is I think that the artist and that the writer are both really talented, and that neither of them, comics isn't their medium. One of them yeah. is a TV writer and the other one is um, a still images guy, not like a sequential narrative guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and especially so I, when he has to draw the same face over and over again.
1: Yeah. And uh, when there was uh, – action was hard to follow often. There wasn't like a – even even when there was a great sense of location, there wasn't a great sense of sequence. And the writing had all these like really creative little beats, but um, they were like dulled out weirdly. They really could have yeah. used it. They could have used an actor or something elevating the ideas.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the and this, I guess I'm skipping a little bit ahead, but the ending it didn't f- it didn't track from what was going on in the rest of the series. I just felt like every time I I went to the next issue, it was like I was missing something or like I it needed more going on than what we were getting. It was like I was just watching the previously on segments, which is yeah. unfortunate. Other than other than whenever Clerk would show up and be like, "I need to save my son." Well, uh, let's uh, hone in on Clert then. Are uh, you a Clert fan? You a fan of the Super Scroll? I like his name. He's got <laughs> a cool name. Uh, I didn't love him in Empire, but like I liked the role he played in Empire as the, yeah, he's not always the, the most the shamed, lovable. The shamed. Uh, advisor to the king who's like well i did try to kill you that one time and i killed your parents we saw that in young avengers yeah he's a uh, he's
1: killed a lot of people his parents that was one time SuperScroll is a hella classic Marvel villain. He first appeared in 1963's Fantastic Four number 18. He's typically an angry warrior with like a noble code, but how angry and how noble uh differs from story to story, and that's kinda his conflict. He's real, uh, real dark. I feel like a lot of Super Skrull stories get into him being like a mad torturer and an unrepentant, uh
0: guy who will, like, cut down and anyone gets in his way, right? That's his characterization. Yeah, and that's definitely his characterization here. Although, at the start, it feels like he's more noble, and then as soon as he's shut down, he's like, well, guess I have to kill and torture and maim everyone in my way in order to stop this this thing from destroying one planet. He's very, very selfish.
1: Yeah. In that He's way. He's also, I, I I would I have to mention though, I would be uh loath not to mention, a very solid choice for fighter in Marvel vs. Capcom Three, and the best character to play in the original Lego Marvel game. Oh my god. So uh, collared, my collard fandom goes deep. Um and for those who uh, aren't that familiar with the Super Scroll, his gimmick he is a scroll, so like all scrolls, he can shapeshift. Uh, But due to a science experiment, he also has the powers of all four of the Fantastic Four.
0: Which is pretty rad. And he's usually depicted as like being sort of on fire with the thing's arm and always stretching. And then I guess one of his arm is missing so that, you know, for the invisible woman's powers. Or he's like uh, levitating a force field or whatever. Yeah, something like that. He's usually represented with all four at once and then, you know, dividing up during the fight.
1: So right off the bat, though, he's fighting a bunch of bugs, and they drop you right into the action, and it's not exactly clear who these bugs are or why he's fighting them at first. Mm-hmm. And indeed, you find out the explanation, and I think it's pretty incidental, but um, the first thing that struck me is uh, when he's describing his powers, he uses them to uh, get like his uh, uh, arms super skinny, and then he uses them like a lathe, and he starts sawing off dudes' heads and decapitating them with his super skinny arms. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, snap, Mr. Fantastic would never do that. That's freaky. And I think that's like the good TV writing. That would be a really freaky, violent thing you could do on like, a, I don't know, an anime cartoon or something or an adult cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would visually be really striking. But I think it could use the heavy lifting of an animator or a, uh, an actor or something to, to imbue the moment with a little bit more meaning. And I think that's kind of where com- TV writing doesn't translate well necessarily into comic writing. Is uh, there's all these other moving parts in TV music that can help sell um, your your beats, mm-hmm. uh, but here I, I don't think he's he's doing enough uh, the scripting to like sell the beats as much as he needs to because so much because the team is so much smaller. It's just him and the art team.
0: Yeah, and like specifically that moment, it it's like. It's kind of funny and it's kind of underwhelming, even though it should be or Richards would never do something like this and you're like, Oh wow. It's it it didn't sell the uniqueness of what he was doing, even as Clert is like, Look at how unique this attack.
1: Yeah, and then the little um the bug who's getting his head chopped off is just going, irk, and it's kind of um it's a deflating beat. It's not like a shocking beat. Yeah even as what you're seeing is pretty shocking. And on the next page, he uh, turns one of his stretchy arms into rock, and then he punches through, like, three more guys, and they splat like gross bugs. Mm. Um, the the creativity is there. I just think the execution is a little off, and that remains the case, even though there's a bunch of other just, like, gory things. I was just like, yo, and I had to write down. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the posing, though, very intense. Yeah, 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 Very and very iconic. That You can see a lot of this, like, slapped on the side of a cereal box. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah which like
1: no no shade to um i just forgot about, no shade to greg titus who uh i like his artwork and i think he does what he does really well i just think that the, um he's being asked to do another thing that seems a little out of his wheelhouse but anyway like like you said collar goes and he checks in with his commander and um the status of the scrolls at this point in marvel history seems to be uh, that they're in chaos. What do you know about where where, where the scrolls are at from, like, Marvel sci-fi in the 80s and 90s? Nothing. Uh,
0: what I gathered from this series was that the Skrull Empire had been decimated, and uh, they're now a bunch of warring factions all trying to, you know, one-up each other and reclaim Skrull space or something
1: um in john burns fantastic four very notably galactus consumes a planet and that planet is the scroll throne world their capital planet oh yeah and that, that happens in the late 80s early 90s i forget the year of that issue but um probably the 80s but that's still what we're dealing with and that's what has the scrolls devolve into this these like warring factions in different corners of space and the next big uh attempt at scroll unity is going to be secret invasion which is a pretty famous story that the movies are adapting now and that's where Hulkling's mom ends up getting killed, right? I, I believe that happens bef- uh, prior to them, but it it plays a role in Secret Invasion.
0: No, no, not Secret Invasion. The when the, the homeworld planet is consumed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where
1: Hulkling's mom dies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That Galactus story has like pretty far reaching consequences. But so th- there's a shocking moment when Colert is like uh, talking about how loyal he is to the Skrulls, and then he betrays his Baroness Commander Lady. Yeah, it's it's such
0: an ah uh, fuck it
1: moment. Yeah, <laughs> he's I like, which, but I'm so it.
0: loyal. Ah, fuck it, punch. But what
1: he's so loyal to, it, like, doesn't exist anymore. I I actually think that uh, the story captures like uh, what a lost soul he is. Where yeah. like oh, he's like totally loyal to his people, but like what even is his people now? Is it this lady? Is it that uh, that commander over there telling him something different?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah. he punches everybody. Um, but he ends up making his escape with rakin and in my notes i wrote i wrote real jeff katzenberg disney movie energy from this little (laughs) jabroni because jeffrey katzenberg was the guy who was always like putting an animal sidekick make the gargoyles talk right that was katzenberg i think it was probably yeah i'm not a disney
0: historian like some folks are but that was (laughs) that is a very accurate description of this character he's got
1: overalls and big shoes and big gloves and a stupid
0: face he's basically just there to be like Mr. Klert, what are you doing? How You're not the hero I thought you were. And get get all pouty, and if this were a Disney movie, Clert would have a, a crisis of conscience and turn around, but instead he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever, kid.
1: In, in the cartoon movie of this uh, that like, a, a cheap animation studio is making, they still get Tom Holland to voice this scroll kid. Yeah. No, I'm not sure about that, Mr. Clert. <laughs> <laughs> But Kalert is here to destroy the Harvester of Sorrows, which is a pretty sweet name for a thing. It's a negative zone weapon. And from my understanding, the Annihilation Wave just, like, flies through planets and wipes them out. And then the Harvester of Sorrows is supposed to pull up behind it and, like, literally harvest the wreckage to be fuel for the wave to continue on. Yeah, it is l- that literally sounds harvesting right.
0: their sorrows. It has very little description except being... A giant cosmic straw that looks like a bee. Like a beehive. Eh, it's got the stripes. <laughs> it's got a, a, maybe like a cartoon beehive. Yeah. Not like, like a real beehive. Like a cartoon beehive.
1: And yeah, this yeah. art is very pink and cartoony. Yeah. But so uh, to get to the Harvester of Sorrows, um, I mean, this ends up being like a, a real get to place A, to get to place B, to get to place C. But the places are pretty interesting and stuff happens in each of them. Yeah.
0: You gotta find the Sith Wayfinder.
1: Yeah, very Sith Wayfinder plot. I hope that doesn't become a thing. But he, um, (laughs) in order to get to the negative zone, to get the person he needs to get the thing to destroy the Harvester of Sorrows, whatever, he breaks into... quest. Yeah. uh, But he breaks into the Baxter building. He goes to Earth. He just, like, casually flies to Earth and breaks into the Baxter
0: building while Mr. Fantastic is just, like, typing on a computer or whatever, writing his novel. And he's like, Richards, I need help. And Reed's like, the super scroll. Hits a button, locks him in. Clerk's like, are you done? And I'm <laughs> like, dude, you don't need that much sass. Dial it down to like a three. Only Doom gets to sass Reed that much.
1: Now, I like that everybody who deals with Reed, the only coping mechanism is to be this sassy. <laughs> just like if you have to talk to Reed uh, regularly and you don't develop a sense of sass, you've just blown your own brains out. Yeah. I could see. That. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, Reed, man. But there's a really interesting story moment that happens here, actually, that I picked up on. Which is? Colert basically explains to Reed, not in detail, but he mentions there's this annihilation wave coming, and I have to stop it before it gets to Earth. And if Reed Richards was shit, if he was anything, if he was smart, he would look through a telescope and see this giant wave of bugs coming. And then he would organize Earth's mightiest heroes, the uh, most... uh, the strongest fighting force in the galaxy has been proven time and again, and he, they would stop the annihilation wave. But he doesn't do any of that.
0: No, yeah, he's basically just like, oh, sure, what you want access to the negative zone? Fine, whatever, it gets you out of my hair.
1: Yeah, um, so we can get back to whatever he's doing. Which I think this is 2006 would be civil war.
0: Ah. Uh...
1: We're actually, don't you worry, Elias, I, you, if you might remember, Civil War is where uh, Reed Richards builds a prison in the Negative Zone. Uh... I think you're going to be stoked. I think you're going to be like, oh, is this Negative Zone prison a cool story idea that I'm excited to see the real good guys fight against? Anyway, <laughs> that's the future for anyway. Now. Colored is uh, looking for the guy who built the Harvester of Sorrows. It's a lot of chaotic action in the Negative Zone. Hard to follow, cool panels, cool power uses.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, most of it is a lot of fighting. Um, he goes from place X to place Y. He encounters, he frees a bunch of prisoners on a prison planet because he needs the basically Dr. Mangala. Like, he's just space bug Mangala. There's no getting around that. I feel like every evil empire has a space bug Mangala or two. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I only care about the science while he tortures people and builds the compliance spine or the spine of compliance which was a thing uh, but a bunch of prisoners want to basically kill him uh, and clerks like no no not yet I need I need this I need this
1: first the one person I, I it is worth uh, pausing to mention so we just meet a lot of characters and some of them are pretty cool and again I they don't have enough of an impact I think to really get into who all of them are with the exception of praxagora <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, just a while. She's gonna be around for a little while, so she's okay. worth that. Uh, she's worth mentioning. So Praxagor design... is a real sexy robot, and I think uh, that's what Elias yeah. is sighing at. She's a real sexy <laughs> robot lady.
0: Yeah, with the with the very cartoony early 2000s. She's got the bob haircut. She's got the giant boots. Like this is it's a design. Yeah, there's it's like a, a certain
1: kind of manga that's
0: uh, really popular right now. Yeah, or the aesthetic. Yeah, definitely. that is it, it actually it, it reminds me of Runaways aesthetically, but Runaways does it better. Right, and uh, yeah, and those were coming around out around the same time, so they
1: probably yeah. were drawing from like a similar artistic artistic touch point that somebody yeah. more familiar with uh, manga in that era could identify better than me. But Praxigori, yeah, she's like a robot lady, and her robot planet was robot destroyed by the Annihilation Wave. All these people's planets were destroyed. She's got the hots for Kalert, though. And, literally, she's shooting heat at Kalert because she's got superheated plasma. Yeah. And the only reason I'm calling attention to the superheated plasma is just um, a lot of the fighting involves dialogue-like. I wrote down some of the dialogue where... um, She's blasting it, and he's going, superheated plasma stream, and then she shouts, I will burn your soul, and uh, a lot of that going on in this comic.
0: Yeah, which I'm sure it could work. It just doesn't really work here. I do find Praxagora, my note under uh, after the fight, I just wrote, she's like, oh, clert, you're so hot and forceful. Let me follow you forever that's her narration that's that's the opening of her narration I'm like all right cool that's her character now yeah I'm also as I'm flipping through this she's drawn kind of
1: inconsistently she's got like lights that uh, appear and disappear sometimes she, uh, she's got uh, colored differently different parts of her turn into different uh, textures of metal she's got cheek vents um I kind of like the cheek vents. They're on her face cheeks to be clear
0: yeah when they are when they are lit up blue, they look fine in that first panel of issue three uh it's horrifying.
1: I also like um in some panels, she looks more monstrous, like her big boot boot feet look like uh, kind of like claws yeah, I think she would be a cool monster girl, but they don't go commit to the monster look, so I think there's only one big thing left to talk about,
0: yeah. Yeah, after after we got through uh Prexagora and her her and her partner's uh it hit me fetish. Um I mean that's a,
1: a an X-Men power already that they're stealing. I don't know why <laughs> it's always got to be like that. I do know why. The answer is Chris Claremont. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. This comic ends with the betrayal of Little Rakin. That cute Disney sidekick ends up being like a terrible monster. And to reflect this, he turns into a more demonic looking beast boy guy.
0: Yeah, that face is uh, quite terrifying.
1: I mean, but... it's it's hard to really uh, be that harsh to little Rakin, though, because, or he medium Rakin now, because uh, when I'm flipping around and there's this page of Super Scroll turning in his limbs into a cage to hold him in. And it's not like our protagonist is like not freaky.
0: No, I meant like his like the w- the way he's drawn in comparison to like other panels. I'm like he's got guy, he's got it's got the devil face. Yeah. Sometimes he's sometimes he's more chunky than other times
1: too. Um which is a little fair cuz he's a shapeshifter, but also yeah, inconsistencies.
0: Yeah. I don't know those those lips. I don't like them. The 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 scroll ridges. Yeah, I don't, yeah, they don't like them.
1: Yeah, I don't want to touch them. They don't they <laughs> look like they look like a unpleasant texture. So I was pretty shocked by this betrayal. I'd even read it before and forgotten. I just remembered him being cute and annoying. And then I was even more
0: shocked by his brutal torture and graphic mutilation. Yeah, but I mean even before that, like we've got we were building up to this big battle, they were going to save the day, and then they're not able to because Rakin doesn't fire the missile that's going to kill that's going to destroy the betrayer uh not betrayer, the harvester of sorrows. Um, Hawal finished making it because, you know, Clerk put him in the spine of complicity and then beheaded I, him. I and believe it's uh, like, a device of his own making. Yeah. And Rikin's like, but father figure, you should put me in charge of the, the missile. And I'm like, everyone's like, okay. Because there's nothing that's really, you know, been built up to be like, to say he's going to betray them. Which, on the one hand, great twist. On the other hand, poorly set up. So it depends on how you read that. I, I was caught off guard by this, but I was also like, mm, all right, I guess. Didn't really track. Uh, but my favorite part of that whole thing is the planet is destroyed. Klert's son is dead. Uh, and they even are gloating with a cup full of his melted remains. Just got a cup of sun. Like his like spiritual remains.
1: It's like... They they really yep. get into, like, oh, yeah, and then also we, like, liquefy the essence of the planet and spiritually consider that to be our victims. Like, they really get into it.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty messed up. And and Rakin is all for it. Like, he's like, you're a bad person, Clert And I'm like, yeah, Rakin, but you just allowed an entire planet to get liquefied. Yeah,
1: by a guy who's then trying <laughs> to, like, feed it to to the one of the, like, survivors. Yeah. Just like a, the the evil next to the cartoon evil is pretty cartoony little
0: cartoon lad. Yeah. And there are a couple more things, but I just want to know, since when does Clark have mind control powers? Uh, he's had it on and off before in his history.
1: Um, I don't know which Fantastic Four member he gets it from.
0: Okay. Not it the would have been thing. nice to see before in the series, at least. Because that just comes out of left field here. Yeah. I, li- I like my Chekhov's guns. Showed at the beginning, fired at the end. I'm with you. That's, the,
1: that's that sloppiness of this mini. Yeah. But like uh, page by page, beat by beat, you're like, yeah,
0: yeah, I see the story in this. It's really good. It's just all over the place. Yeah. And it's it's full of moments that could be cool, but end up kind of falling a little flat, like Rakin attacking with his laser pistol that also has cartridges. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> sure. Hey, so I'm... we get this machine gun style page. Plasma beams, let's call them. With cartridges. Sure. <laughs> Okay. And then we've got the Efferment and Torture. And then to save everyone, what's his face? Klert? Thank you. I, I kept, for some reason, because uh, Rakin, I just kept thinking of Raccoon from Dragon Ball Z. I, I, I can see why. For no reason other than the name. So Praxagora and Clert have to save everyone by absorbing infinite energy and discharging infinite energy. And in order to do this, uh, they have to kiss. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if there was any form of romantic bond that was built up over this other than they hit each other and yell each other and Prexagora thinks it's hot, which I'm not to, not to dis on people's fetishes, but like, it didn't seem healthy. Well, it was a real case of, uh, liked all the wrong parts of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah.
1: Um, where they, they bicker, but you also have to have them have good tension. You can't just have the bad tension. Those those stories are based on a combination
0: of them, but I guess she survives the seventy three hundred days past. That's uh, that's like twenty years. I was gonna ask. I didn't do the math. Uh, seventy three hundred days. Let's give a, a, a rough estimate. Uh, it's about twenty years, give or take a few days. But yeah. So uh, which also implies
1: that Praxagora is gonna survive the annihilation war. And sometime in a time beyond Emperor Hulkling, they're building statues of Colert.
0: I guess. Gotta love that sliding Marvel timescale because we are closing in on. <laughs> we're closing in on 20 years past Annihilation Day. Yeah, but it's probably only been like four or five
1: years in, in the Marvel Universe. That's a good point.
0: That's a good point. Gotta love that sliding timescale. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, so that's um that's uh, Annihilation
1: Super Scroll. Uh, Super Scroll and Praxagora are gonna continue to play uh, somewhat of a role in future Annihilation stories, but not a huge one. And this was a really weird, messy miniseries that I kind of like yeah. more than I
0: remembered. Yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. It's hard to give more concrete. No, that's not the right word. I th- I think this miniseries has zapped my brain with its infinite heat.
1: Yeah, well it's a real uh, it's a real brain zapper because it's hard to hold it all it's it's so sprawling that it's hard to like hold all the different parts in your mind at once
0: yeah like a surprisingly large amount of stuff happens in it but it also feels like nothing happened and not in a good way
1: i guess my summation of it is um the harvester having a super weapon is cool harvester of sorrows is a dope name its look wasn't that iconic but like having an odd part of your story where super scrolls got to go on a suicide mission to blow up a weapon and then he fails but then he gets his revenge that's like a yeah that's space opera stuff
0: yeah, and that's a that's a solid basis for a mini. It's just all the details get get lost in the middle, and we spend all this time hunting for this random guy and a random prison planet, and then to basically amount to nothing, which you know feels kind of like the point. But I don't know. I guess because I didn't really like Clert. I like Clert in general, but like here, didn't really like following Clert. Yeah, he's a real nasty son of a bitch. Yeah, but sometimes you, like, you not enjoy following nasty characters, but there are some stories where the anti-hero is, you enjoy following, and other times you're like, you want to see them get what's coming. Here, I was like, I just want Clerk to not be front and center anymore, and none of the other side characters were anywhere near engaging either. That makes me interested to talk about our final miniseries,
1: which I had an interesting experience with reading. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. We're talking about Annihilation Ronin, number one to four. These are written by Simon Furman, illustrated by Jorge Lucas, colored by Dave McCaig, and illustri- and lettered by uh, VCs Corey Petit and Joe Caramanga. So, um, I had to look all these people up, um, and the one thing that I found that was kind of nutty is Simon Furman kind of lightweight created the Transformers as we know them. Legit? He was the writer of the original Marvel Transformers miniseries, which was... I'm not a Transformers, a keeper of Transformers lore, but from what I can remember, um, that was kind of the first time they were turning it from a toy into having a story and a lore. A lot of the characters and the gods and was uh, Furman's ideas and those early Transformers stuff. Wow. Um, I yeah, I've never been. I know people who swear by like, like people who are intelligent people with great taste who did explain to me that there are these amazing political transformers comics about the true meaning of democracy i'm like yeah i want to read those and then i pick them up and i never can get into them. <laughs> but i believe them i just uh it hasn't clicked for me yet but they have simon Furman, the writer of this ronin series to thank um i also uh jorge lucas is um, a marvel artist who does a bunch of art in this era but what i really remembered loving about this and what i still love is i really like jorge lucas's style it's very different than the previous two series
0: yeah, it is. It reminds me of, I keep saying Jason Burroughs, but it's got these very fine inks, fine lines. There's a lot of detail. It's it's like a 2000 AD comic.
1: Yeah, which I believe like, is Judge where... Dread. I believe that's where uh, Simon Furman did most of his comics work, was ah. uh, in Marvel UK and 2000 AD stuff. That would do it. So that would make sense. Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of uh, James Stoko. Although James Stoko's a little bit more... Uh, or uh, Daniel Warren Johnson are all, I think, in the same school. But this is a little bit uh, rougher and sketchier.
0: Yeah, it's... And with the coloring, it's a little... I don't want to say flatter... But the
1: color, the colors are very flat. Like uh, they're yeah. these really computery color gradients,
0: which is a shame because Dave McCaig does do very, very good coloring work.
1: Well, uh, this but... is this is also remember when a lot of people are switching uh, to com- to digital for the first time. So yeah, I you it know, I'm not so familiar. Work. I'm not so familiar with Dave McCaig that I know like when he's switching over from one style to the other. But I imagine one comic was one of his first comics to be digitally colored by him, and that was yeah. probably like a whole transition.
0: And I think it was just the wrong style for this coloring approach. Yeah,
1: this is so inky; it would look good yeah. like with something more naturalistic.
0: I think these colors would have worked better with someone like, um, we just said his name. Oh my god, like Gregory Titus. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I these think colors it would have worked a lot better there.
1: Yeah, that, and that it would be less bubblegum colored. This had like more of a palette. Yeah, less jarring.
0: So um, Ronan opens up. Ronan opens yeah. up on what is basically the most judge dread style opening mad max it's he even has law puns he has law puns yeah yeah
1: he just like says lawyer things as cool one-liners you have just zone like honed in on one of my favorite things about ronan the accuser that uh watchers of the movie who have not read a comic with ronan might not know is that ronan just goes around just saying courtroom stuff before he murders people
0: that's such a good shtick it I as I love it. It was fantastic and the the right way to open up a Ronin series even though I don't I didn't really know a lot about Ronin but I think that was the right way to do this. I'm trying to find the line. Right at the beginning he finds the guy
1: he's hunting for and uh, he goes uh, accused, I will "Allow me the uh, to defend myself." And then Ronin just beats the crap out of him and goes, "The defense rests." Yeah. <laughs> And it's just like, Ronan, they only talk like that on law shows in America. Why are you talking like that in the space? Do the Cree? just uh, love law and order? He says, we must now adjourn. Yeah. As he's dragging him away. Anyway, this is
0: Ronan shtick. He always talks like this, and I love it. Yeah. And then later, he's he's talking to the guy, and he's like, did you do it? And the guy's like, yeah. Even though it would mean this thing, yeah. So do you have anything to say in your defense? Not to you and then they have a few more exchanges and then he's and then he's like very well mets of the kakaba i sentence you to trial by combat and he releases a dinosaur <laughs> uh, and then he's walking away it just says defend yourself so i feel like
1: some people um being into superhero comics might pick this up i, I just and be like a, this ronin doesn't feel like a protagonist but I think yeah. the recent example of a story that pulls off a character just like this is Ronan is basically the Mandalorian here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Talks a
1: little more, but... Right, talks a little more. You can see his face, and he's a little bit more uh, law-abiding. The Mandalorian is a little bit more religion-focused, I guess. hmm But he's very into... He's like a, a fanatic, and he's going through space, and he's saying his catchphrases, and just like uh, the danger level is really high. If somebody... If... Uh, uh, person did this on earth this would be very upsetting but for some reason in space this feels like it's a like a weird adventure serial
0: because it's a it's the wild west basically yeah it, yeah that's it's what a I, western
1: yeah and it feels like a fable i guess it feels like yeah.
0: a, a, a long ago and far away yeah he's the, he's the sheriff that wanders through uh, mo- doling out frontier justice What's interesting
1: about him, though, is that... But his justice kind of sucks. Yeah, well, everyone acknowledges that he sucks, which I like. And what's so interesting is that he he's motivated by, um, like, these, these strictures of of the Kree Empire, which has rejected him. He's, like, an exile now, which is his personal conflict, is he wants to get back in. Like, exile for him is worse than death, which his old yeah. enemy the Super Scroll probably can really relate to. Mm-hmm. Um... But, what I love is he's still carrying out his purpose with like this uh, f- fanaticism um because that's like all he knows. and he seems sad about it. like he doesn't know how to stop,
0: yeah. yeah. he's he's struggling. He's trying to figure figure out what he what he wants wants and needs to do. Although I found this one line very interesting that wherever there is a Cree Cree law applies, which,
1: is awful. The priest suck. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and obviously it's not going to be interrogated in, in a comic where Ronan is the main character. But it, the, right, the, the comic like a... goes out of its way to definitely be like, no, Ronan sucks, and the things he believes in also kind of suck. But he's the hero here because of what's going on.
1: I I really I I feel like what Ronan always captures is um, feeling like not knowing how to be different and wanting to make that change. I feel like that's the relatable core of Ronan's character throughout all this. Because he's he's um while he's carrying all this out, even though he's sick dinosaurs on people though, he always seems so tortured
0: about it. I yeah, I love all these tortured space guys. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's the, the connecting thread of this book. It's Tortured Space Guys. It truly is it. You're
1: absolutely right. Anyway, this comic ends up this miniseries ends up spiraling even more out of control for me than the Super Scroll one, where oh there there is God, some yeah. threads in this that I had nothing to do with anything but there's a couple that i thought were really cool so i think we should uh the next uh, thing i have in my notes is his meeting with koreth the pursuer
0: my, my. The Korath. oh my. yes i mean before that we get the backstory of what happened to him and that he's been he was basically exiled because uh nile shows up and is like yeah ronin was conspiring to like murder everyone in the upper council you should throw him out and Ronan just sits there and is like, mm, "What are you doing?" Very, very non-committal. Crushes his chair. <laughs> yeah, showing emotion
1: the only way Ronan knows how by taking it out of the furniture.
0: Yeah. Oh, right. No, it, I'm sorry. He was he was uh, accused of conspiring with the Skrulls in order to slowly cede Kree space uh, under puppet governments to the Skrulls, which is a more interesting st- uh, accusation of betrayal. And I'm not exactly sure
1: what comic that's referring to, but I know Ronan teams up with the Skrulls every so often, because everyone is teaming up with and betraying everybody in these Kree Skrull stories.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it may have just been made up whole cloth for this. That's what it feels like, based on the way it's doled out.
1: So I'm looking at the page where he's meeting Korath, and it's it is just uh, Mos Eisley. Yeah, pretty much. The stone is the same type of stone. The doorways are cut with the same arches. The this like furniture has the same little glowy parts. Just somebody's doing some Star Wars fanfic, and I like it.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good setting for just a random you know, space planet. It's called uh, Godthab Omega. Godthab Alpha. No, Omega. Godfab Omega. <laughs> Gotta get your daily dose of Godfab Omega. <laughs> um what I like
1: about Korath's presence in the story is that um Ronin has been so hateful towards everybody, but Korath is like his old friend, and you see this uh, well not warmer side. Um Yeah, yeah, well I guess warmer side. Like uh a, a comrade in arms and you see that there are he does care for people.
0: Yeah. He cares. He cares about what happens to Korath um, when nebula and stellaris attack so nebula
1: shows up in this i kind of forgot that nebula was in this
0: i didn't even know nebula was gonna show up and i saw that and i'm like she looks familiar and i was like looking at the headpiece i'm like oh that's nebula why is nebula here
1: yeah so one crazy thing to remember is that um nebula in her most famous appearance in the infinity gauntlet story um appears as thanos's i believe she says granddaughter in that not daughter and, this, and uh, Thanos is like, I don't believe you, and she never proves it. And then they mention this. Uh, whenever Nebula shows up, they're like, she claims to be the the heir of the Mad Titan or something. But nobody ever believes her, and she's just like a, a pirate mercenary. Have they ever resolved that? Um, I believe they resolved that in more recent comics. But uh, what's interesting is also the her and Gamora being sisters relationship came mostly from the movies. They had no relationship prior to that. So it's so interesting to me that they get so close to each other in this.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic, for sure. Uh, but they're here to basically attack people. I, I never got a good, a clear reason for why anything was happening on this planet. Uh, on, other than, like, I guess it was, you could chalk it up to everyone's being manipulated. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, before we get to that, we have to get Gamera lounging on a throne of skulls.
1: Yeah, so this is our first... Uh, d- our first appearance of Gamora in our reading, um, but we know she's a big character from the movies, right? Yep, uh, she has a very different look. So uh. she has a very different look. I, uh, while there are elements of this I like, I think that um, as you might see by the end of this and from her characterization, the hood and the cl- the creepy hood and cloak is actually yeah. a, a totally rad outfit for her, and I, I like that. Um, the suspenders covering her nips and the crotch skull are a little unfortunate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was. It's not so egregious here on the the skull throne, but as soon as she starts moving or showing up anywhere else, it's. uh it might be some of the worst costuming I've seen.
1: Yeah, it's the uh the like sexist swimwear stuff is like really to a degree I uh, could unimaginable degree, but. Yeah. Also a little bit unfortunately I kind of think that this uh tells you a little bit more about Gamora than how she dresses now. I feel like the motorcycle leathers are uh, are not really her as much and neither is the uh like the Mass Effect plastic armor because what Gamora is is she's like um the leader of a uh, mercenary
0: assassin squad. She's yes. not like
1: a, a barroom brawler, she's a uh, thrown a skull sitter.
0: Yeah, she needs something a little more ostentatious, something a little, a little bit more Skeletor
1: Yeah, like Skeletor So I I don't think it's got to be lingerie, but I do think the uh like medieval assassin, like Assassin's Creed, like bad guy in Assassin's Creed is uh is
0: what yeah. her look should be. That that's a good de- description. Oof. But also these, these yellow the yellow around her eyes. She doesn't have any eyelids. What what's going on? What's going on with her here? That's all cool. I think that's all. Uh,
1: I love her face. Uh, yeah, the the gold around her eyes, which they they preserve in the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. But what? this is just one general question.
1: Yeah.
0: What the hell is Gamora up to here? Well, yes, and we never really get a good answer for that. We get an answer. It's not a good answer.
1: Yeah, she's just trying to, like, lead her bad, guy squ- her bad girl squad to, like, steal and kill and steal and kill. And she doesn't like it when the law
0: rolls into her town. Even though she didn't really... I don't think she objected to it being the law. I think she was just objected to anyone else showing up. Um, at least the comic never makes it clear that it was she was objecting to the law part of Ronin and not the Ronin part of Ronin.
1: Yeah, this is why where Simon Furman is losing me and what feels to me like the Transformer comics I don't like, where I'm just like, yeah, there's like a lot of people and they represent something, I'm sure. I don't know what's happening.
0: Yeah, it feels like there's a lot going on outside of the comic that may or may not actually exist, and we don't get a glimpse into any of it. Um, we're just kind of seeing the the after effects of bits and pieces of it. And there's this grand mystery and it's all very God, I clone saga is the wrong way to describe it. But honestly, I'm getting flavors of the clone saga's complicated convoluted narratives where there's a lot of mystery in the background, but the mysteries really aren't that interesting. Uh, And so when you find out the answer, you're like, well then what was the point of any of this? Uh...
1: Yeah. It was when you write um, a suspenseful question without
0: knowing how you're going to answer it. And even, but even the question isn't that suspenseful. I'm like, oh, there's a mysterious hooded figure, but like, they don't do anything to make me care. There's so many different plot threads going on. But what I wanted to ask was, uh, because, uh, readers of this comic will note that Gamera does not have green skin. She's got ivory white skin. And I don't know when that Change happened
1: uh, before this. Gamora has been colored with green skin. Typically, it's been a very pale green, and then uh, later it uh, gets to be a darker green. I actually don't know if this, there's a plot reason for this, or if it's just a coloring error. I
0: don't know. Whatever, the, whatever it is, it was a choice for the comic. Um, it was very striking. She she looks pretty scary.
1: the The only two other things I want to mention before we get into the endgame of this is just that um, Ronan and Gamora fight a couple times, and that's pretty cool. Like.
0: Yeah. The first splash page of what is issue three. I thought that looks really cool. Even though, again, everything around it, I I could care less. <laughs> it doesn't. It has no emotional resonance. It's just two people beating each other up uh, with cool Kirby crackle and whatnot. The really interesting part about that page, uh, Or at least what I wrote in my notes was just, it's immense cosmic Ronin, uh, itty bitty bikini strap. Those (laughs) are the two big takeaways from that splash page. Also trading cards in the background. Oh, all the gambling stuff.
1: Yeah, you're right about the unfortunateness of this costume just completely makes it so that I, I couldn't in good conscience really go around recommending this to a stranger. Yeah. And that stinks.
0: Ronan looks so big in that pan- in that page, too. And I like the page, but I'm like,
1: why is he so big? That looks very Kirby, too, actually, and so does the posing.
0: Yeah, it was probably intentional.
1: But then this fight is, like, besides the really unfortunate costuming, is really good. Like, Gamora looks badass. She's stomping Ronan. It's like uh, they're doing cool wrestling moves. It's a good exchange. Yeah. Yeah. That was, just a, that was a big highlight for me. Um, and then the other thing I, just, I need to
0: mention, because we need to mention, is Glorian is here. Cool. Oh, don't forget about uh, Tolk, Tolk, the, part, the guy who partnered with Ronan for nefarious reasons. Uh, the only reason we mention him is because he is our link to the Annihilation Wave and to Gamora, because he's playing both sides.
1: Yeah, um, and Talos the Skrull shows up, played by Ben Mendelsohn in the movies. Oh, yeah, that's who that was. Yeah, yeah people I... are showing up here, but, like, yeah. like y- your tone is, yeah, like, whatever. Just, like, a lot of people are showing up. It, Gamora just, like, didn't want people to come to this town, and now, sure enough, people are coming to this town, and they're all ha- throwing down. And a lot of the fights aren't as good as the Ronan Gamora one, but... Uh, that one was, like, hard-hitting, and they both looked like total badasses. Glorian is the most uh, question mark part of this because uh, he has almost no impact on the story, the larger story. He's just like a, a parallel thread that comes in at the last second to sow some chaos and then amount to nothing, right?
0: Yeah, sounds about right.
1: But I actually think he kind of detracts from the story, too, because he's just this extra-human element that doesn't need to be in this non-human story. So it's just weird that there's this, like, human maniac running around using his superpowers to sow chaos in space. Uh, on top of, like, why does that need to be here? It just makes the universe seem smaller and Earth to feel so much crappier.
0: Yeah. I'm embarrassed to be a human. <laughs> because of Glorian. Because of Glorian. Glorian. What a name. Yeah, he's pretty wasted. Every time Glorian shows up, though, it it makes me think of the Kenneth Roquefort art, Kenneth Rocafort art. Um, for those who don't know, I'm trying to think what has he drawn at, at Marvel because he drew sideways over at DC and he's done a whole bunch of covers. Yeah, I know him from his covers. But he's, he he channels that same style of lots of inks, lots of very fine inks uh, when he's drawing. His stuff is very line heavy. Um, like like how Jim Lee and like a lot of 90s art is very line heavy. Um, that. I don't know how else to describe it.
1: I want to mention: uh, Gamora introduces her blade as God Slayer. That's going to be her sword for a while, and I think that's pretty cool that she's got a sword called God Slayer. I just, um, I like, I like this like bad girl Gamora as a, an assassin for hire who everybody hates. I, I feel like what Gamora, <laughs> like a lot of MCU characters, got a little too cleaned up, and she mm-hmm. seems like a, she seems so like righteous and moral, and I, and the Gamora I know and love is like real tortured and. Uh, Real, um, real conflicted, and she does dark stuff sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, this is my first introduction to Gamora in the pre-Guardians era or pre-pre you know, Guardians movie era. Um, so I'm excited to see how we get from there to wherever we end up in Annihilation. Uh, yeah, because she's cause pretty I'm... much an
1: out-and-out villain in this miniseries. Okay, well, that's gonna be fun. No, in the miniseries we just read, in Annihilation, she's going to have a, a lot more conflict.
0: Oh, okay, good.
1: Anyway, just to wrap up, Ronan, all of yeah. this BS comes to a head when the Annihilation wave <laughs> arrives on day 99 of them entering our reality. Yeah, finally. Yeah, and everything erupts. What I guess I kind of like about this, and the place that this miniseries has in the larger series, is it's just checking in with all of these people who are having their everyday Marvel space conflicts, where they're all starting crime operations and pursuing revenge and getting into bar- barroom brawls but then none of that matters because bugs are here and that's bringing all these disparate people who are fighting it that's like uh it shows that they, how we, yesterday we were fighting but tomorrow we are joined against
0: the bugs yeah and that may have been the point of the series but that definitely got lost in, yeah I in do everything. like everything I'm
1: flipping through this and the bug mayhem is like great bug mayhem
0: mm-hmm
1: uh Jorge Lucas is just like drawing great bugs. His, his bug design is good and um Although I did not
0: recognize Erratica when she showed up. Yeah, she was not on on model at all. Uh so she just looked like another generic bug. I like her design here better actually. I like her
1: glowy antennas and the color scheme. Really? The, the green and the purple. I think she looks really cool. Hmm. I just but yeah, I like this art style so much. Fair. It ends with Ronan finally um, finds Tana Nile the woman he's been pursuing, but she's been injured by, in the bug fight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think I said this last time, uh, Ronan is, like, one of my favorite characters in this whole saga. And this is going to set him on his quest, and his next stop is... Um, he found out that Tana Nile gave false testimony against him, leading to his exile. She was working for Ronan's political isles, rivals, House Fierro. And um, Ronan is just like, well, I guess I gotta go kill House Fierro then. And what I like about this is Ronan is definitely in the Annihilation War now, but he is still just on this really personal revenge quest, and uh, it, that's not resolved.
0: Yeah. I, there was... Where's the line? It was... Oh. I have lost, from from Gamera, I have lost many graces, you lost that which you sought, the truth. And I was like, I, that was something that, for all the other stuff that goes on in this, I really liked that decision to kind of deny Ronan a clean ending exposition thing. Like, he gets some of the information, and Nile clearly was conflicted over it, but he doesn't get the whole truth, he doesn't get all the information he needs, and it doesn't feel like a cop-out, like, oh, the writer's denying us this information. It felt like, oh, this information, it is important, but it really isn't important as important as, like, the other information that was given, uh, and there's still a motivating factor that's not just deflating, throw your hands up in the air, and it's like, well, now what? Uh, we will uh, see more about
1: Ronin's uh, battle with uh, House Spiero <laughs> in the next installment of our uh, read of the Annihilation Saga, Part 3. Ooh,
0: that's exciting. Although the rest of the ending was very anticlimactic.
1: <laughs> Fortunately, when we pick up, we will be reading the Annihilation series proper. That'll be Annihilation 1 to 6. And then we will get a... Um, a little epilogue, which is the, the duology Annihilation Heralds of Galactus, number one and number two, uh, which wraps up some of the, like, bigger cosmic threads that were introduced in these miniseries, uh, which will play into the Annihilation War proper, and then finally, we are going to pick up the first ongoing we're going to be following, uh, and following quite a great deal of it, reading Nova, number one to three,
0: which is all collected in... The Annihilation uh, Book 3, at least I think it's all collected in Annihilation Book 3, and the second half of the Annihilation Complete Collection, uh, which is Book 2.
1: Yeah, you're going to like Annihilation, Elias. Like, I think the story proper is going to really kick, kick off for you, but that Nova 1-3 to 3 is going to blow your mind. It's not what you're expecting at all.
0: Alright, well, I'm excited to find out. I'm excited for you to find out, too. So where can they find you, Jake, on the larger interwebs? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter.com. I sometimes
1: post there as at rambling underscore moose. And uh, you can find me on this here podcast, which is part of multiversitycomics.com, a website where I also contribute writings type stuff. And you should read those if you like the stuff (laughs) I'm saying. You, Elias, are you to be found on the internet as well?
0: Yes, uh, surprisingly, I am somewhere on the internet. You can find me on, on Twitter at Quetzelish, that's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Uh, that is my handle for both my bug annihilation wave form and my real human form. Uh, you can also find me writing at multiversitycomics.com by this point in time, Riverdale will be on its weird extended hiatus, uh, but I will be covering Supergirl, unless that also has gone on a weird hiatus again. Which, you know, could happen because we are living in very strange times. Almost as strange as the denizens of Earth-616 during the Annihilation War. <laughs> uh, I bet one day we'll find out what's happening on Earth during the Annihilation War. And we'll see you next time when we find out, people. Excelsior.